The IFAC Farm Survey, published during the week, paints a very different picture of how many other farmers are feeling about their jobs and the future right now. IFAC is a farm-facing accountancy firm who were in the business of selling financial services, but their annual survey has in the last six years become a very useful weather vane of sentiment in the sector. Philip O'Connor is Head of Farm Support at IFAC. He joins me now in the studio. Good morning to you, Philip. Thank you, Philip. I think it's kind of important to say at the outset here, because there's some fairly gloomy answers to a lot of the questions. This is a snapshot in time, and it was a kind of a gloomy time that you took that snapshot. Yeah, we took it over towards the end of February into December, like, and as I say, it was a, a tough time in farming. End of November, you mean? End, end of November, November into December, yeah. End of December, yeah. Um, so... The question that leaps out at you here, though, is the number of farmers that still see themselves in farming in five years' time. Yeah, we saw we saw a jump in that figure, um, and over a, a four-year period, it, it dropped by sixteen percent, by from eighty-two to sixty-five. And we asked that question in the context of yes, no, and don't know. So the number of farmers who said no hasn't really changed at all. It's been steady enough around 6-7%, which is probably allowing for retirement and so forth. But it was the don't knows that definitely jumped. So the, it, was, it was from the farmers that went from yes to don't know that significantly increased over, over that four-year period. So that nearly a third of farmers now are saying, I don't know if I'm going to be in farming in three or five years' time. Yeah, just under 30%. Uh, and a lot of that uncertainty seems to stem from um, well the questions that you ask around cash flow. What did they have to say about how much cash there was on hand in their business? Well, we asked them, do, do you feel you have enough working capital? So that's, is, is, there, is there enough cash flow in the business to, to, to get the business, uh, to keep the business running over the next six months? And as everyone knows, cash is vital to any business. So one in three of them said they were unsure. Now, I don't believe that there's a third of farmers who are going to run out of cash, run out of money in the next six months. But I suppose we had a follow-up question around that is, are you budgeting and managing our finances? And one in four said no. So I can, that stat is, I can understand where that stat came from. If one, if uh, if a quarter of farmers are not managing or monitoring their cash flow, that their only real barometer of the cash flow is their bank account as such. Okay. Um, so a quarter of farmers are basically choosing which bills to pay and some might go unpaid. Yes, that could happen. Like, I mean, we, we, we would be very strong in IFAC and working with our clients as regards managing cash flow, keeping your figures up to date, looking at the figures and planning ahead, like, if you know what I mean. Cause well, there you go, planning ahead, because the other thing that you get an impression of reading between the lines of this survey is of an industry that is very badly prepared for the future. Poor knowledge of the fair deal scheme. Well, that might be true of the general population, not just farming. But there's a very large number with no pension. There's worrying numbers who haven't made a will and a very large number who haven't been able to identify a successor. Find a future for the business. Um, yeah, well, wills would be, I, I, as I say, it'd be interesting to bring up to other business sectors to see how much that is. And um, yeah, wills is something we, we, we push hard in IFAC to do. It's what, very, what's, the, what's the figure there? How many haven't made a will? I don't know. That's the same. It'd be interesting to see in... in, in no, no, in farming, though. In, in farming, it was one in two hadn't made a will. 50% of people yeah. haven't, OK. Uh, and those with no pension? Those in pension stated that there's one in three that didn't have a pension. And like that does feed into succession as regards... Because... It is very important, if you know what I mean. That I mean, the the, the state pension is give or take around thirteen, fourteen thousand euros. So, it is we we do feel very strong in IFAC. It's something we work very hard on with our clients is to make sure that they are thinking of that because you can't farm forever, 
And if you know what I mean, as we often see in family farms, and you've covered it many times, is a lot of family farms have multiple generations on them. And having that pension or having that ability that somebody can step back and still have an income on the farm, still have an income coming in, and it's not solely reliant on the farm to provide for multiple mm-hmm. generations, we feel very strongly in IFAC is, is very important. And what are the figures around succession? How many have clearly identified where the business is going? Well, on the on the survey, we asked people have they identified a successor, and over fifty two percent said they didn't. So little over, little under fifty percent had identified a successor. What's interesting, and say we, we we mentioned it briefly before, is how many of those people have actually told their successor they're a potential successor. So that's that's a stat that we haven't really delved into, and something would be very interesting to to find indeed, out. Indeed, how many successors know that they have been identified? I want to tease all of this out a little bit further uh, with Jack Kennedy, editor of the Farmers Journal, Dr. Mary Curtin, beef farmer and assistant professor in UL's Kemi Business School, and Mike McGann, a dairy farmer, chairman of Animal Health Ireland. Good morning to all three of you, Mike. A third of farmers saying they don't know if they'll still be in business in five years' time. Even if you acknowledge that it is highly unlikely that a third of farmers are going to leave, it's not a healthy sign, is it? Uh, just, just Philip, a quick, quick correction. Former chairman of Animal Health Ireland. Sorry, former. Anyway, that's that's form. Um Yeah, it is. It is worrying. But the good thing, I suppose, if we want to take good things out of a survey that has some gloomy, gloomy results, is that. It, it shows us the areas that we need to um, need to work on, and definitely, well, it's forever been the case in farming as long as I've been involved. Concerns around succession and concerns around the age of farming and concerns about the future, and as you rightly said at the beginning, um, it's it was a snapshot in time. The, the survey and last year was a year that farmers did feel worried and uncertain about the future, and to some extent still do. Um, and that's to me is the value that we now know areas that we need to concentrate even more on. But the the, the issue of the age and succession is something that that is a worry, and um, we we will do better by having more farmers with the attitude of Bruce at the beginning. That was that was a fantastic piece, and it shows the the range that we have in agriculture. We have people that aren't listening to the noise and the, 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 the din out there with regard to how poor our industry is. And yet we have farmers doing a and super just... job and we have a really good industry. So I, I'm so I like I like the survey from the point of view of pointing us in the right direction. Notwithstanding Mary Mike's glass half full approach to the survey there, would you be worried that the answer to that question about still being in business in five years time was in single figures five or six years ago uh, and, and isn't any longer. What would you put that down to? Morning. So I think because of the demographic of farmers now, again, because they're not identifying successors, the trouble is that they will be going heading for retirement. So the main thing is to actually identify the successor and ask the children or any of the members of the family who might be interested. And I think a big thing to bring up as well is the gender division in farming because it's usually a son is identified or is expected to take up the farming enterprise. And we need to be asking the daughters as well, have you an interest, would you like to, and what opportunities are there for everyone involved? So I think if we can at least get people to put their hands up, who's interested, and give them an opportunity, then at least they can look at a different, we could go, there's so many new things we can go into in terms of sustainable farming, in terms of we have this native forestry, 
we have different organic, we have so many options that again, I think we don't have to stick to what was on the farm for the past few generations. If the future then has to be about breathing new life into it, this is what your thesis was in, women in agriculture. And women all over the world are the agents of economic change. Do you think, Mary, that we're missing a trick in not pulling out all of the stops to get as many young women into farming as possible? I do, because we can't be ignoring half the population. And women are involved in farming. There's plenty of farms this morning where women are out in the wellies doing the work as well. And they're not involved in terms of the ownership of the farm, maybe the herd number. So it's just getting everyone to the table with decision making and control. And it's not saying that one group of people are better than another. It's trying to bring everyone together to actually try and make the best of the situation we're in, to try and become more sustainable, more environmentally focused, so that we can actually get agriculture to thrive in this country in the future and to keep going with the way things are going with the climate. Jack Kennedy at the Farmers Journal. When you read between the lines of this report, with so few people having worked out a succession plan, poor planning for their own financial futures, being of the opinion that young people aren't interested in farming, is the mood of farming now that there are a lot of people out there who have spent very many years working hard and they're now wondering, what was all of that for? Yeah, Philip, it's part of the piece, you know, but I I think a lot of surveys, it measures the sentiment at the moment in time. It was a very difficult 2023. I mean, in terms of prices, in terms of you're talking to Bruce, profitability is still his key number one. While he is a Farming for Nature ambassador and while all farmers are working with the environment, profitability is is a challenge for him and is the number one priority on his farm. And that's what it it remains. So we had beef prices that were hugely different to what what farmers were getting in Northern Ireland, we'd milk prices, uh, you know, probably the worst they've been in 10 years, and we'd exceptionally high cost on farms. So I think, Philip, there's a piece there that we need to put the context around why the mood was was particularly difficult. Um, and we had a huge change in terms of cap policy and in terms of, I suppose, where farming was going and the direction it's going for the future during 2023 in particular. Well, on that, the Agriculture Minister is now keen to reassure farmers that this recent period of instability is over, that there's going to be no more regulatory surprises. Basically, what he's saying is, farm on, I've got everything squared off for you. Do you think that that's at odds with what is actually likely to happen in the next year or two? I think we're part of the way there, uh, Philip. I, I still recognise that there's plenty of challenges in in all the different sectors. Mary mentioned the forestry programme, and, and yes, it has been launched, but we see very few farmers partake, partaking in it because of I, ash dieback and a number of other issues. We have a, a nitrate derogation reduced from 250 to 220, and but farmers in two years' time might be farming at 170. So there's the uncertainty there that the minister needs to bring some clarity to in terms of where we are going. A dairy exit scheme that has been talked about for two years, but still nobody is any the wiser on what is happening. So, I mean, a suckler and, and an acres environmental programme that are, are, are properly oversubscribed, but we see suckler farmers leaving the sector. So there's still a biomethane strategy, Philip, that, that again, we, we're supposed to have clarity on, and, and yet we have no mm. publication of that strategy, or the land use strategy, another huge issue for farmers. Indeed. Mike, on that, you and I have talked in the past about shocks ahead, not least meeting that 25% emissions reduction target and, as Jack says, the fact that we still don't have a land use change emissions target having even been set as of yet. These are massive, seismic events on the way. 
Yeah, they're massive, and I, I'm I'm glad you've you've had, you've drawn attention to them because we are hugely exposed if we don't meet our 25% reduction on on uh, carbon carbon by 2030. And uh, I think that's a national issue as well as the one Jack just mentioned, the nitrates, the derogation. If we fail if we fail to hold the current 220 and we drop below that, it will have massive negative effect on on farming. And I think that's part of why there is uncertainty out there and part of why farmers are feeling the way they do. It's good to hear that the minister is saying no more, there's no more coming at you. But there's a massive gap between what has been, what's, um, what we're now expected to do and the implementation of that. There is still a huge gap there. And I, I, if the minister is saying that, I equally urge the minister to put a structure in place to help implement, the, the to retain the 220. And I think that is of national importance right up to the top of government because the consequences of us not holding that. And this is not for a second for, to say that we want to go on without having a, an eye to the environment. I'm, I strongly believe that we can hold 220 and farm with absolute environmental um, top credentials with no damage to the environment. And th- that is a hugely important thing to do. And it, back to, to Mary's point on with regard to attracting people in, not only, not only women, but anybody into the industry, is that there's a lot of other places that people can now get employment. Mm. We have full and wonderful employment. And our industry has to shape up and show that we are as attractive place to work as any other industry and we've probably been poor in that. We probably have been poor in our in our image and we probably talk down our industry a bit. So if, if I'm here, a young person at home on a farm, listening to the doom and gloom that we portray about our industry, well, I might, I might be attracted to go someplace else. So I think we have to up our game with regard to being positive about our wonderful industry. But equally, get the help from government to say, right, okay. no more rules coming at you, but... Um, we're going to help you to ensure that 220 is retained. Mary, on the points that Mike was making about the environment and the criticism that farmers receive for their stewardship of it, any profession is going to be judged by the worst people in it. If farmers want to change that conversation, is it time for them to stop turning a blind eye to their colleagues, their neighbours who are spreading slurry in the middle of December, for argument's sake? I think that's already happening because, again, farming gets so negative in the media and farmers are at the front line. They're working with the soil, they're working with cattle every day, they're working in nature and it's their business that the earth works best for them as well. So I think that they are, let's say, you will, because of the whole calendar farming now where you can spread slurry at certain times, that because of they might be coming up to a deadline and if it's pouring rain, they feel they have to spread it. But again, it's for farmers to know, OK, we have to focus on the weather. We have to pick fields where we won't have a runoff. We have to actually think about what consequences will happen if I do this. And I think farmers are looking at their neighbours. There are knowledge transfer groups. But again, these are the ones that become in the headlines, okay. whereas we're not. We need to promote but do you more. see There's a culture fans. change, Mary? Do you see people prepared to say at this point, no, no, come on now, you shouldn't be doing that any longer? 
I think definitely because I even see we have these fabulous voluntary schemes around the country that don't seem to get you know, pushed more maybe in the media as well so for example in Hollow, there's this EIP Blue Dot project yeah. farmers voluntarily enter it it's not for money they get, again, they get advice from an ecologist. OK, I, if I plant okay. willows here... All right, well, you know what we're I, going to have to do? I'm going to have to go to Do Hollow. I'm going to have to look at the Blue Dot Project and we're going to have to report back on it in Countrywide in the future. But that's where I'm going to have to leave this conversation for this morning. Dr Mary Curtin, Jack Kennedy and Mike McGann and indeed Philip O'Connor from IFAC. Thank you all very much for joining us this morning. Let's take a break.